Hey now, other people call me Paul. You can call me whatever you want because I can't hear you. Becky, do you care what our listeners call you? Um, I don't know. Well, you weren't so sure about being called a podcast sidekick, so maybe you are pickier than you think you are. <laughs> if you call me some random name like Mortimer, I won't know who you're talking to. But we'd love it if you'd reach out to me or Becky. Is that okay, Becky? I didn't ask Becky. Sure, yeah, of course. Or anyone that we talk to. And I think we really do, you can say a lot of things about us, but I think we really do believe in the power and potential of this big hairy thing called 3DL and I won't speak for other people even though I think I just did when I said you could contact any of us <laughs> but I feel like it's something um, almost like a moral obligation to try to support its spread people use different words to talk about different sides of this coin dissemination versus propagation adoption versus adaptation pretty much any noun that ends in shun I think will work is mm -hmm. that true, Becky? Yeah, for sure. We could write a paper about that. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you have a favorite shun word that describes the spreading of mm, things? I don't know. Sustainability shun. No, I left like out a couple. I, you, should have, you should know which ones I left out. Come on. Mm, you got propagation, dissemination. Those are the big ones. Um, diffusion. Mm. Mm. Oh. So, pa so passive. People talk about percolation, too, I've seen. I don't know. On with the show. We get to drill a little craniotomy in Sonia's skull today. See what we can fish out. You sounds excited? Fun. I'm, I am. It sounds fun. Say, let's do this. Let's do it. Hi, my name is Sonia Underwood, and I feel passionate about three-dimensional learning. Hey, Sonia, it is officially that time of year when those of us in the upper Midwest start to get irritated with people who live in a place like Miami. Becky is farther south than me down there in Ann Arbor. Is that kind of tropical, Becky? Sometimes I would dress um, incorrectly for East Lansing coming from Ann Arbor, but not very often, only maybe once or twice a year. So well, no. Sonia, Sonia doesn't really help the situation showing up to our podcast recording from the beach under, are you under an umbrella? Is that a margarita? <laughs> of course. It's nice and warm and sunny. I think it's like 80 today. Oh, I actually, um, I actually have some kind of sickness where I actually, where I like real winter. And I told Becky earlier that there's something so satisfying about a good snow blowing or shoveling session. Um, I promise I'm going somewhere with this, but Something that um, that I've noticed about by like if I had those little epiphanies, which are probably just like normal thoughts for people like you two, but they usually happen outside when I'm like, I don't know, walking a dog or mowing or this last week shoveling. And so here's my theory. Part of the reason I think shoveling can be so satisfying is because your effort pays off so immediately and so visibly and even like um, viscerally, you're like, yeah, sidewalk, take that. <laughs> Do you think, Sonia, that one reason um, it can be so hard to transform our classroom practice, you know, for us specifically with 3DL is because like the fruits of that, those efforts are maybe not so immediately and blindingly visible in some of the ways that we'd like? It does take a little while. And I think some of that's just to 
understand what the framework means and the theory. Um, and then once you understand how it could be applied so easily into the classroom or by changing your assessments um, and knowing you don't start from scratch, for example, then I think that that mm -hmm. makes it much easier um, to get into and get moving um, and see that benefit. I seem to do this. I get excited about picking someone's brain. I forget to let our audience know really who we're talking to. Sonia has been working with Melanie Cooper, our fearless leader, since you were in elementary school, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I started with Melanie in grad school. So I guess that would be 2007. How did you um, cross paths with her in the, the first place? Yeah, so I met her when I went to Clemson, and I was trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do in life with chemistry. Um, and so I didn't actually know about chemistry education research until I had met Melanie um, and knew that it was an option. So I feel like that's a lot of how people in our field actually fall into it and that we don't really know a, a lot about it as it's still a developing field. Um, and so I met Melanie uh, early on, actually before I started grad school. And I then um, found what I wanted to do and felt passionate about it in that way. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to age people, but as I'd say, as one of our group members who's maybe closer than some others to their time as an undergrad, um, what, and what percent of, would you say your college science courses were what we would call three-dimensional? A lot of my classes were straight lecture, I would say, um, and standard exams and what we mm -hmm. would think of even today, right? So it's very traditional in that, in that sense of what was being taught and then also the delivery of how it was being taught. I feel like that time period was more like inquiry-based labs were sort of more the thing that was bringing the real world experience in. I don't know if you if you ended up in any labs or you know, teaching any labs at Clemson, you know, sort of we're pushing the inquiry lens, but kind of keeping it relegated to the lab space instead of the lecture space. Yeah. So at, at Clemson, they had the project-based labs that Melanie had transformed prior to me getting there. And so mm -hmm. when you mentioned that, that's my first experience with some kind of transformed course, I would say, mm -hmm. um, where there was something different. And, and that's a whole different experience as a grad student trying to teach those labs when you've always had a traditional lab, you know, before that. So yeah, we're sure. kind of just in the same boat as the students are of like, what do we do? How do we figure this out so that mm -hmm. we can help somebody else figure it out? So I can relate to our instructors when we're trying to get them to transform something or teach something new, because that's, mm -hmm. that's exactly what that sounds like or feels like, you know. So you kind of discovered this idea of chemistry education research. Were there any uh, kind of clear pivot points where you look back and you can say that's that's something that happened that led me down this path to trying to fo to focusing on teaching and learning side of science? Um, so I would say ever since I was young, <laughs> I used to play classroom. Um, so I always knew I wanted to teach of some sort. What I wanted to teach has changed. So actually, mm -hmm. when I was younger and, and wanting to leave high school and graduating, right, I actually wanted to teach calculus or some kind of math. Um, in the college level. I could envision teaching either one of those kinds of things. Mm. Um, but I feel like once I found chemistry education, that led me to a whole different path. Just in the interest of full disclosure, you and Becky have worked on a couple of projects together that are kind of outside the biggest 3DL umbrella. Mm -hmm. I want to try something. Um, 
I was going to try to mute Becky, but I'm going to do it like uh, tech-less. I'm just going to ask Becky to take off her headphones for a second, and I'll, I'll wave you back in a minute. Okay, Becky. Okay. <laughs> okay. Can you lip read, Becky? She didn't say anything. Okay, that's good. Okay, here's the question, Sonia. Sonia, um, what would you say is the, the coolest thing about those projects that you and Becky worked on together? I want to see if you guys have similar, um, similar takes on that. Um, so we were working on a project that um, is trying to help students connect their chemistry and biology knowledge. And so so we've made, I think, a seven now of these activities. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say that the connections of the different disciplines and being able to get the students so much interested in this, like when I have undergraduate students that come and want to do research in my lab, they're usually bio students and they're like, I love this project, right? So mm -hmm. like, this is the one project I would say I get the most students to work on. And I think that it's because it's it's so meaningful to the students. And so I think that both of us have like realized a lot of that through working together in this project. Yeah, I mean, I think you're those kinds of projects are hitting on something really fundamental. Like you, we want to connect things. Like we don't want to go from class to class and have it be completely disjointed. Okay, I'm waving Becky back. I had to try to like hide my headphones because they're they're pretty good, and so I could I could hear you even I was I put you under my chair basically. <laughs> All right. So the question that I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question that ask Sonia, what was the coolest thing about the products that you've worked on together from your perspective? Um, I say very often that I feel like I make up what I'm doing every, like all the time. Like I really like, and, and what I mean by that is while I've had very good I've had good mentors and I've had you know great experiences in education research but I've had a path that did not involve a traditional mentorship with someone like Melanie or another you know person another deeper kind of person so it's been great I'm really glad I got to learn with somebody who is also kind of doing it for the first time in a way um I think I think I um I have more confidence in being able to do it again now you know than I would have if I'd been with somebody who was senior the whole time so You'll have to listen to the episode to hear what she said, Becky. Yeah, I feel like it was a dating game or like a, you know, what do you call it? I wondered it? if he was going to make me take my headphones off and then I'd have to wait to the podcast to find out what you said to yeah. see if we were the same or not. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. I'll just take your headphones off and you just guess what we're asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. All right. So, Sonia, after you did it, after doing a postdoc up here at Michigan State, you fled back to Florida where you are now, uh, as you mentioned, well, you didn't use these words, but I'll say a shining star, new faculty member at Florida International University. Did anything surprise you about that transition? Um, honestly, I, I, I will I'll probably say always more than I should. I think for me, I was I was scared to go into the assistant professor position at first, right? You like you mm -hmm. see all the things that you have to keep in the the um, the air and the balls that you have to like handle <laughs> and juggle, right? And what you do. And I knew that I could do it. I think that it is just, it's something that's like a little intimidating sometimes of like moving into that, that transition. Um, I was very thankful that I had a great mentor to, to try to give me that. And I actually took four years as I had my son too, to do that postdoc training, which I think was mm. so vital. And, and I think that that gave me the chance to, 
to get ready for that position. And I would say grants were like the biggest thing that I was scared about. So Becky and I actually wrote our first grant when I was still at MSU um, and it got funded, I think the second time um, and third. (laughs) So keep writing if you're out there listening to this and you've gotten some rejections on grants. Third time was the charm that one. But I think that that was like something that was, it's a little bit of a transition, just like when you transition to grad school, you know, it's, it's something that you like, you're worried about. It's like, am I good enough to be here? You know, like, it's kind of what Becky was saying. It's like, we don't know what we're doing sometimes and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just trying to figure it out. Um, But I think that it's, I, I feel like I'm thriving in it. And I, I just want to say also that I feel like maybe qualitative, being qualitative, uh, in part qualitative research types can, can kind of add to that feeling that you're always making it up as you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's pretend that um, that 2020 didn't happen and cocktail parties are still a thing. Woohoo! I wish. <laughs> so how do you describe what you do in your lab at a, if those cocktail parties ever become a thing again? Are you meaning my elevator speech that they always tell you you should yeah. have? I'm trying I was trying to avoid that, those words, but yes. Um, you know, you try to be reflective on like what you do and how you, you think about things and how your group and all your projects fit together. And I would say that if I was at a, a cocktail party, which I don't know if anyone wants to hear me talk about work at a cocktail party, but, <laughs> <laughs> but if I was trying to explain to someone what I would do, I would say that like what grounds me and um, is the, the three-dimensional learning right? And that framework. And so I use that framework kind of to connect chemistry, biology, uh, knowledge for students, as we talked about. I would also say that I try to use it to help faculty and students transform like their understanding or their teaching um, and, and trying to think about like also like what students know about core ideas. And so like how does that understanding of a core idea change as they go through a curriculum? Um, and so I would say that those are like the three areas that I, I really try to use that framework to try to divide my research into. Okay, let's go back to this cocktail party. If, if it's that hard for you to think that we can make it, you know, like a work thing. It's all your work people. <laughs> So, but let's say that you're, um, you're talking to somebody and then, uh, say, um, maybe like an emeritus faculty or something in science, not even necessarily chemistry, but he heard you talking and he wants to know what you, what you meant by 3DL. Yeah. So I would say to me, 3DL is more like really the, what we want students to know and then what we want them to do with it. It's the idea that I don't want students to know some random facts. I want them to know something that's going to be grounded in something. Does that, does the direction of that conversation change if that person was instead a brand new faculty member who you know will probably be teaching some of the, like the big enrollment gateway court chemistry courses, say, or is it, is it the same message? I think it's the same message. It really is, I think, a broad message that we're trying to get out. Like, you know, we want students to know things and those things should matter. And then also thinking about what do we want them to be doing? Um, and that they need to be active, right? That's what all the research shows us. They need to be active in their own knowledge construction. And so giving them those opportunities to do that um, and thinking about how we could do that. I asked you about these hypothetical people because you have, you know, 
experience doing this, t- taking this thing and talking about it with a wide range of people and helping some of them, you know, try it um, in part through the, what sometimes is called the STEM Teaching and Learning Fellowship, um, which is a big component of our groups, what, what we might call an intervention or outreach or those types of efforts. And so you, ha- you have a group at FIU now that, that is part of this um, multi-institution group and they're all chemists, correct? Yes. Is that right? Some of them already uh, identify education as part of their, you know, work identity. Okay, so I, I would describe them that they they all are passionate about education um, of some sort. Uh, at FIU, we have big uh, initiatives from the provost level and the president's level. Um, our, our president's been on multiple like reports now for the the uh, national reports and trying to change education. Um, and so we have a huge effort going on on campus, especially with our our provost initiative for teaching. Uh, for learning assistance, we call them instead of TAs, they're learning assistance for undergrads. And so there's been a big initiative across the university to try to change courses. Um, and so that's in all different disciplines. And so we have a lot of scale up classrooms and other things going on too, uh, or you could call them that of where that, you know, we have rooms that hold up to 300 students and they sit in tables of nine to try to engage. So there's been this huge effort across our campus to really change uh, how we're teaching things. And so I would say that all of our faculty fellows are, are part of that, that they really truly care about the students. Um, I would say all of our faculty do, you know, that they, they really want the students to succeed and be the best that they can. And so they're really trying to do that. And so for many of them, I think, and, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I would, I would guess that they really just wanted to like learn about this new way to further help their students. Right. And so a lot of them have embraced that as a, as a, a way of doing that and, and trying to think through that. When you had to transition to virtual, like if you put a 3DL lens on that, do you feel like, you know, your the 3DLness of your courses was the same? Do you feel like it changed? You know, like how did that work when you went remote? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think that a lot of things have changed. A lot of rethinking about how the interactions with the students worked was a big part of like redrafting some of the curriculum again, you know, for this online environment. Techniques that we had learned or strategies in the classroom have had to change um, mm-hmm. because of some of that like environment now. Um, as for assessments, that has changed, you know, like I have to do, um, like all of my exams online, which I, I don't love trying to think of how to do that. We've actually went from one exam a month, like three exams in a final to like biweekly quizzes, you know, or check-in points is what we're calling them. Um, and then we, we got rid of the final and did a project that was all focused on core ideas actually. And so um, we tried to to get them to, to think about some of these things that are 3DL, but I feel like if you coded my exams using the 3D lap, right? Like in the percentage Mm -hmm. of exam points, it probably has changed some. Um, We still try to write one short answer question, at least on those, you know, that is 3D in nature that's grounded. And it usually makes up at least 10 to 20 points of the 50. So maybe our percentage isn't as bad as I think, but I, I feel like what I ask students is a little different than what I used to ask them. Some great drawing questions, for example, 
are hard to do on a canvas. Yeah, I sometimes I it's just shocking to me that if this had happened even five years ago, oh, yeah. definitely ten years ago, we would just we'd be I don't know what we'd be doing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the technology now that we have allows us to do things that we never could have done before. I, I don't know what they would have done. Yeah. Do you think that chemistry as a discipline lends itself particularly well to 3DO? I mean, I think all of the disciplines lends themselves to it, right? It doesn't exclude any of them. But I think that there's still some common threads across all the disciplines. What do you want students to know and what do you want them to do with that knowledge? All right. I want to let you go soon because uh, it looks like you need a refill on your margarita or Mai Tai, whatever that is. <laughs> but before we go, will you, are, are you willing to play Would You Rather 3DL style? Oh, goodness. Maybe. <laughs> I think that was a yes. Okay. <laughs> okay would you rather... Okay, you mentioned your son, so he's fair game now. Would you rather <laughs> your son? <laughs> he's gets... nine, FYI. Okay. Almost nine. So that's that's perfect. So would you rather your son gets 3D instruction in high school but not college, or he gets 3DL in college but not high school? That's a really rough question. <laughs> um, They're supposed to be, aren't they? There's not a good answer. <laughs> there's that. There's that a... If, if I had to go with one of them, and, and then I'll try to explain my rationale here, I would rather him do traditional for high school and 3DL for college. And the reason why I say that is because some of the research that's coming out now, if we have them do 3DL and then stick them back in a traditional course where they're not asked to do those things, you have lost ground on what you have trained mm. them to do. And so if I had my son learn 3DL, which I'm sure he's doing some of that now, you know, um, with asking them why and what they're doing. And they tend to do that a lot in elementary school, you know, of why things are happening. Um, and then I stuck him back in a traditional course. I feel like he would regress, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'd rather him like end on a high note, I guess, than have that climax mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle of his learning and then regress, right? So that's what I would say. Okay, let's say we have a magic 3DL wand that instantly converts well, we'll call it, quote, traditional instructor into a 3DL believer and even um, even a master. But, but it only works 100 times before it runs out of juice. <laughs> so would you rather wave the wand over 100 faculty members in one institution or wave the wand over 100 faculty in 100 institutions? I feel like I would wave it across all institutions because then at least maybe you have a change agent or someone that can try to help change those institutions instead of one mm -hmm. institution that's concentrated of all change and then all the rest are teaching differently. And put them in a faculty learning community also. <laughs> of how to be that change agent. Because that's the other yeah. thing, right? So like, even if you change a faculty member's like thought process and what they're doing, doesn't guarantee that there's some kind of adoption Right. And I think that that's, there's mm -hmm. a lot of research up there out there that like talks about like how hard it is to try to change. It kind of reminds me of uh, this last summer I planted, a, I had a seed pack of a hundred seeds for Cosmos Diablo flower, like this pretty orange red flower. And I just like 
threw them in the garden, you know, and I mean, I tried a little and I got one flower and then a buddy ate that one (laughs) flower. So, you know, they need proper care. I mean, not that you just, I don't know. So the magic wand might not work so well. Um, So we're just taking, we're kind of throwing the pasta up against the wall. (laughs) Seeing what sticks. (laughs) I'll admit I have done that as a child. Stick it to the wall. Done. I think the first time someone tells you that, you just like have to try it to see. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the last one. Would you rather have all dogs try to attack you anytime they see you, or have all birds try to attack you anytime they see you? It's not 3DL related at all. No. This is like a which one of your horrors would you like more? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that question, Paul. <laughs> like, okay. I think I'd prefer none of them attack me. It's <laughs> not how this game works, though. I would, I would take the dogs just because of leashes and dog mace. I don't know how I'm going to I guess I was going to say birds because at least you could like lock yourself in some kind of like place that they couldn't <laughs> fly into. But I guess if you were going to make it more Miami-related, it would have involved sharks and alligators and crocodiles. <laughs> All right, Sonny, it has been a pleasure. Say hi to Jimmy Buckets. Do you know who that is? Jimmy Buffett? No, Jimmy Buckets. No, Jimmy Butler. He's he's here. Oh, never mind. It's a, it's a basketball reference. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you. We really appreciate your time and your insight. I, I think um, I think you really, I think you frame 3DL in a kind of a broader way that, um, that helped me at least give it some more perspective. So thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Paul. And absolutely. Thanks for joining me, Becky. It's been great. Yeah. Another firefly in the podcast jar.